remember to subscribe and share. Ian Stenlake is one of Australia's favourite leading men. He starred in shows like Sea Patrol, Murder Call, Stingers and Dance Academy. On stage he's performed in shows, many shows, including Oklahoma, Guys and Dolls and Cabaret with Aussie songstress Tina Arena. He's currently touring Australia in the stage show Elvis, A Musical Revolution. And believe it or not, Ian Stenlake is my guest today. Ian, welcome to Noel Anderson's 15 Minutes of Fame. Well, good morning, Noel. This is such a joy, such a pleasure to be here on your 15 Minute Fame. It's fantastic. Well, I tell you, I wasn't expecting you to be sitting in your car, but uh, but you tell me you're, you're actually at Ikea doing a little yes. bit of um, renovating in the house, are we? Well, do you know what? I'm on. I'm currently on tour with Elvis, A Musical Revolution. So I'm down in Melbourne on tour. Place where we're staying, I broke a plate. So I want to replace the plate. Oh, okay. Hey, you know what? When I was thinking about you, the other day lots of memories come back about about you but i always remember your vibrant enthusiastic personality and and i was hoping that that when we got to chat that you had lost none of that so have you still <laughs> got it there in i reckon i've got lots of it i'm getting older so you know there's a little bit more jade in the color maybe but no, i'm i think i'm genuinely uh pretty similar to when we met years ago yeah look and i'm picking that vibe up from you hey one of the things i wanted to do with this um podcast was talk about leading men because you've spent a lot of time on stage and in film and TV as a leading man. And I'm just wondering, before I start asking you some questions about things you've done, is there any leading men that inspired you, you know, to be an actor? Or is there, is there someone that you looked up to as a youngster growing up in gorgeous Bris Vegas? <laughs> you know, it, it's a great question. My journey with acting sort of came from almost like a blank slate growing up, I didn't have any people that I looked up to per se. It was really a chance meeting on, uh, you know, a backpacking trip throughout Europe with the cast of big Hollywood film called uh, The Godfather Part 3 and ending up on the set of that show and working for 10 days as an extra. Long story short, the way that I got onto that set was through a true leading man, a guy called Frank D'Ambrosio who played, uh, apart from playing Al Pacino's son in The Godfather Part 3, he went on to be the longest running phantom of the opera in San oh, Francisco. Wow. I think he did something like three and a half thousand performances. So I'm not sure if he still holds the record, but certainly was, you know, the longest running phantom ever for a while. Probably exhausted still even and... if he's done three and a half thousand performances of phantom. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that sounds to me like a hard gig, as beautiful as the show is. Yeah, but he sat in it and just, it, this was in San Francisco and he, and he stayed with that show for several years, obviously. And and look, he, he was sort of the catalyst for me to become an actor. He is truly a leading man that I would look up to, um, not one that many people have heard of, certainly in Australia. But, you know, obviously Godfather fans would know who I'm talking about because he played the opera singing son uh, of the Godfather himself. So uh, Anthony Corleone, I think his name was. When you were growing up in, in Brisbane, did you do any training in Brisbane? Or, I mean, I know you went to NIDA because we were there at, at the same time at one point. I grew up in uh, the church, basically, because my father's a minister. And so... 
musically, I had a lot of input and a lot of um, people around me. Like within a church, I was in choirs and my family were quite musical. I learned the piano a bit. I did have a couple of singing lessons, but nothing ever followed through. And I used to be sort of this guy that you'd call upon if you're in an emergency. You know, the, the church might be putting on a play or something and someone gets sick two days before they open. I'll get in and he'll do that. But I was sort of like this, uh, you know, periphery, always thinking it's what I'd love to do, but never having the courage to actually take those steps. And so after my the, the situation in Rome the, on um, The Godfather Part 3, when I came back to Brisbane, I contacted my grade 12 English teacher, Lisa Hickey, and I said, I remember that you were in a show at the Lyric Theatre up there, a pro-am show called, I think it was called uh, Sherwood Stock. It was done at the Performing Arts Centre in Brisbane. It was a yeah. huge thing up in Brisbane, massive. I, I was there at the time. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, you know, this English teacher telling me the story about a show she did where there were professionals in it, but also a lot of amateurs. So I came home from this backpacking trip, you know, and dropped out of commerce law and said, I'm going to become an actor, much to my parents' delight. I rang Lisa and said, are they doing any more of those shows? And she said, Ian, they're auditioning next week. And so I've come home from that trip, contacted Lisa. I go to an audition a week later and I'm doing a show in Brisbane, you know, two weeks after I get home after this trip. So it was just the timing of everything and the snowball effect just seemed to work. And I was basically then learning from people around me. You know, that's that will bring us, I'm sure, to our conversation of when you and I first crossed paths. But I did Fantoed of the Opera, which was a spoof, obviously, of Phantom of the Opera at the Lyric Theatre. And then and that, that sort of, you know, the people I met, I kind of plugged into the vibrant amateur scene of uh, Brisbane City and did amateur work for a year and then got picked up by Grin and Tonic Theatre Troupe, which is a professional company, um, and started working professional and then thought uh, professionally and then thought, you know what, I need to learn about what I'm doing here. <laughs> and that's when I uh, got really serious and then applied for NIDA. Because the last time I remember having a, a real conversation with you, I had been on a retreat at NIDA for a writing retreat and I'd had a yes. very rough time and you you yep. came over and they they were having a big, a big day where everybody was called in tonight or the whole school was there you were there i was there i was complaining about my week at this retreat and you said some yeah. very um nice things which i can't remember probably like ignore the buggers or something like that i can't remember <laughs> what you said but you gave me a bit of advice like just move on from it that would have been uh 1996 could that be correct yeah so that was my final year of NIDA. yep uh okay i thought you might have been in third year that that year as well That's when you left NIDA, I thought your first big role I could remember you doing was Sea Patrol, but it wasn't. Uh, so it, it was Stingers, wasn't it? Yes, it was the other way that's around. right, yeah. Sorry, I didn't realise that, but it was Stingers. That was in 2007, is that correct? Oh, uh, no, 10 years earlier, so 1997. So 2007 yeah, yeah, maybe... must have been Sea Patrol. Yes, indeed. That's okay, exactly right. right. So, um, yeah, I graduated in 96, and then I, I knew nearly got a job on uh, Summer Bay. What's, what am I talking about? Home and away. Home and um, away. Literally, I graduated, and say, let's say, on a Thursday. I went to Mulliner's Casting on Friday, and I was shortlisted down to the final two. And I would have started work like a week later, but it went
went to Richard Greave. So I was then out in the open and I literally did 13 episodes of Children's Hospital for the ABC in Sydney. And so those 13 weeks of television were really where I, you know, I went from a, a NIDA graduate with a lot of theatre experience into crossing over into the t- TV world and, and just learnt a lot on that show and met some great people. And, and then I was down in Melbourne a, a year later, I guess towards the end of 97 and into 98 and ended up getting onto Stingers, which was, you know, five series of 22 episodes um, and took about four years to shoot those those five ep- uh, series. Here's a question for you. It's, a very, it's kind of a bit of an odd question. So you did Stingers, then you did Sea Patrol. And the very first episode of Sea Patrol was called Welcome Aboard. And as I said before, <laughs> it, was, um, it was in 2007. What do you yeah. remember about that very first day shooting that episode Welcome Aboard? Sea Patrol was an incredible opportunity and also a very, very unique television series in so much that it was 13 episodes long and it was shot like a film. So we didn't shoot sequentially. I literally had to read 13 episodes, be ready from week one to the end of the shoot to be ready to play any scene from any one of those 13 episodes. So when I think back to Welcome Aboard, I think my earliest memories were were day one when I met the rest of the cast and and people would were literally coming down the hill and I'd go, oh, wow, there's Lisa McTune. She's in the show. And I had no idea who was in the show with me. And then, you know, oh, Jeremy Lindsay Taylor, we did, we met on Stingers. And, and then, oh, here comes Johnny Batch, another Queenslander. Um, just just that, the excitement of a brand new show and, and seeing the, the, the cast that you know are going to become your family very quickly. And uh, it was such a great time and such a beautiful company. The producers, Al and Di McElroy, from them down through the entire cast and crew was just, just a fantastic time. Many years ago, I did three months on patrol boat, um, in, which was shot on uh, in the pit water. And wow. And let me tell you, it was wow. um, it, it was a big ask to shoot something in on a ship. It was shot in Sydney Harbour, wasn't it? Is it around the harbour? Well, you know, I'm going to learn a lot now. We did the first series, we did three weeks on the harbour, uh, two of the Navy um, bases, uh, I think it was Penguin and uh, maybe Waterhen. And after that, the entire series was shot in Queensland. So Cairns Base was where we did the alongside stuff. And then off uh, Mission Beach, we would do about eight weeks on the actual patrol boat. So most of Sea Patrol, except for the three weeks in the first series, the rest of it was shot in Cairns, uh, Mission Beach, and uh, on the Gold Coast. I am really surprised by that. What I was thinking about that, you know, they're very long days. They're very hard days. If you've ever done a show that is shot on water or in in a ship of any kind, some of those days, you know, you're up at four in the morning to be at the studio, to get to the boat, to shoot the scene. And then by the time you're you're kind of back in the studio again, it can be quite often eight o'clock at night, you know, so they they can be huge days. They were. And, you know, certainly working at sea and on alongside and on board the, you know, HMAS Hammersley, as we called it. But this was an actual an actual Navy ship with a real crew. Um, And that crew, you know, they became our extras and also were were constantly monitoring our work and making sure we're being authentic. And there was a, a brilliant collaboration between, you know, the Australian TV world and the um, the armed forces. So it was really, really special. I've got to just say to you, though, that if you worked on patrol boat, you would have worked, well, at some point, Robert Colby was in and around that series. Yeah, and then 30 years later, his son, Conrad, was in Sea Patrol. So oh, there was a beautiful God. synchronicity there. Yeah. I mean, oh, amazing that, to think that, you know, 30 years fantastic. later, you've got this huge, just hulking, handsome young actor. And of course, he's going, oh, well, my dad was in the original patrol boat. So it was uh, a, a nice sort of uh, continuity there. Which reminds me 
me, you've just jogged my memory. I've seen, I've been stalking you a little bit on social media as, as, as I always do before I chat to somebody. You've got a little girl who I think is only, she's fairly four. young. Would you want her to be an actress, Ian? Would, uh, is that something you'd like her to do? Look, uh, I mean, I found acting, or uh, as I often say, acting found me. Um, it was not something that was family oriented. And you sort of, as you, you work and grow in this, uh, in this community, you realize that a lot of people that get into it, sort of get into it because they know it's a real thing. They know it's something, you know, it's tangible because they've got family or, you know, people they know that are in it who who introduced them to it. So Scarlett is going to be very, you know, she's going to know that there is an opportunity for that sort of career. I'm not going to say yes or no. She can find her own way. She's currently dancing up a storm in her ballet classes and she loves to sing. So let's just see what happens. Oh, look, that's sounding like she's she's the next, um, I don't know, she might be the next Kylie for all we know, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) She could be. <laughs> now you've you've not only with, with um, doing TV and film and, and and all of that, you've also done a lot of theatre and a lot of a lot of musicals. I'm wondering what is your favourite musical out of all the musicals you've done? What's your favourite role? You know, it's so hard because I kind of invest every time I get a role. It's just it's everything to me for that. You know, for, while I'm doing it, and to pick a favourite is almost like picking a, a favourite child, if you know what I mean. But uh, yeah. look, I've got to admit. I, Cabaret, playing Clifford Bradshaw and Cabaret as my first professional, big professional musical was extraordinary because it was a Sam Mendes production and, you know, I knew I was part of something special and, and really enjoyed the, the vigorous kind of, uh, you know, it, it challenged me emotionally and, uh, and professionally. And you were um, Tina Arena as well. Um, so that must, have correct, been, yes. that must have been exciting. It was super exciting. I mean, to, to play opposite her and, and, and just to be on stage and hear her sing and, and be that close to her, you know, it was was uh, you know really really incredible really special and then years later I was playing Sky Masterson in Guys and Dolls and that was fun and Curly in Oklahoma these are kind of classics um, and uh, and then since then I've had some really nice like brand new productions that some have gone on some haven't but it's always it's been a, an amazing journey to create roles as well and I mean even in this latest one Elvis A Musical Revolution it's never been played you know it's a, it's a, a world premiere for a professional production and, and so we've created created these roles and and this is a musical where for the first time I'm not really singing in it certainly I have no solos and it's not really a singing role and so here I am all these years later getting stretched uh, you know it's a real character role and I'm really finding that thrilling and in Elvis the musical you're playing Colonel Parker which of course was yeah. Elvis's um, manager played by Tam- Tom Hanks in the recent film were you tempted to look at what Hanks Tom Hanks did and if you didn't look at what Tom Hanks did how did how did you approach that character. Yeah, so, I mean, we're so lucky as actors today in that, you know, the, the internet is such a valuable resource for uh, study or for, for research. And, uh, you know, the old days, you'd be looking up books and trying to work out what year the show's set, what was, what was you know, what, what's the country like in that year and who is this person and Encyclopedia Britannica or something. But now it's such a rich a rich uh, mine of information. And so I had never heard of Colonel Parker when, when the casting brief came through. And I kind of, first of all, read the brief and thought, oh, okay, sounds interesting. And then, you know, then I went, oh, Tom Hanks played this role in the movie, which I hadn't seen. And I was thinking, all right, well, if Tom Hanks is the last person to play this role, that's that's pretty big shoes to, to try and fill. And so I deliberately did not watch the movie. Um, and I've done that pretty much with every show I've ever done. I have gone into audition process and usually rehearsal process uh, with no outside influence because I, I want to take, I want it to be my take 
on it completely. And so when I started diving into the life of Colonel Tom Parker, I was blown away by the fact that one, I'd never heard of him. And two, he's just an extraordinary character. And so I just, you know, based my characterization on bits of physical uh, evidence I could find of him, whether that was, I mean, there's not much around of him. He was a very private person. There's only one real soundbite of him pre-19, you know, pre-Elvis's death. And um, that was in 1956, but it's a good 20 minutes. And, you know, I, I based my entire accent on that. And that accent, I can tell you, is completely different to Tom Hanks. That's for sure. When you play somebody that's real, I was thinking this as you were talking about Cabaret as well. The original stories was, uh, were called the Berlin Stories, and that was written yes. by Christopher Isherwood. And then that was adapted into a play called I Am a Camera. Then that was adapted yep. into Cabaret. But at the very um, essence of those stories, in whatever form they're in, the lead character who you played in the musical was essentially Christopher Isherwood. Do, do you yes. feel when you're playing somebody that's real um, or, you know, carry, or some characters that are based on someone that's real, do you feel you have a responsibility to respect those characters or do you want your creativity to, to flow free and reinterpret those characters? Well, yeah, that's a really uh, fascinating question. I guess I, my first instinct is to respect that character, but I also think that, you know, I have to find myself in that character too. So, I don't don't disallow that freedom, that creative freedom for aspects of myself to flow through as well. But certainly, I think my major, it is for me, it is about respecting that character. And I feel really, you know, there's a really, uh, it's not a, I don't feel responsible in terms of, oh, I've got a real responsibility, a heavy kind of responsibility to get this right or anything. I feel privileged. I feel, and you know, and I let that imagination go and I really feel, I really want to be them and I want them to flow through me. And then that character is part of a story that we're telling. So I want that characterization to flow through me and help everyone that I'm working with tell the story that we want to tell as authentically and, you know, intelligently that we can. Um, and so a character like Colonel Parker, I just, you know, I look, I look deep into his life as deeply as I could in terms of garnering what people say about him. And at the end of the day, you know that you're not going to get everything right, but you've just got to give it your best shot. And it's interesting you bring up Cabaret because, you know, that was like 2004 or something and the internet wasn't really pumping back then. So I was just reading books and, and going to libraries to find out about a Christopher Isherwood and uh, and even took myself to Berlin to get a real sense of where he was in, in the real world at that time. Well, I hope you stayed out of some of those nightclubs in Berlin, which are supposed to be pretty wild. Ian, do you have any um, wild <laughs> Berlin stories you can share right now? <laughs> well, let's just say I got out of them uh, before I got into any trouble, put it that oh, way. Oh, well, that, that, that sounds pretty good. Hey, one of the things you've done <laughs> like as a, as a regular every year and, and because um this is this is kind of my last podcast for the year and it's Christmas time um you've done um yes. carols uh by candlelight regularly is that something you're doing again this year it's something I'd love to do it this year so they're aware that I'm in Melbourne the the Elvis cast is being considered as we speak um but they've got a lot of uh there's a lot of kind of uh, musicals and, and a lot of, I wouldn't say competition, but there's a lot of choice this year for the carols producers to choose from. I'm available as a member of the Elvis cast. I'm available as a solo artist and uh, only time will tell that we, we might know in the next few days. But yeah, I'd love to do it again. It, it, I had, you know, sitting in uh, Paddington in Brisbane many, many years ago on a Christmas Eve, I saw David Bowie and Bing Crosby sing Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy on Rage you know, at two in the morning or something. I had a dream back then that if my acting career was going well, that one day I would sing that song at the, the 
the Melbourne Maya, you know, music bowl, Christmas carols. And, you know, to my absolute delight, I got to sing it with Michael Cormick oh, uh, many, many years later. And it was a very satisfying feeling to think, well, I've, I think I vision boarded that. Uh, it was certainly a dream come true to do it. And I think I've done it maybe four or five times I've, I've performed at the Christmas carols. And they certainly are a highlight. Something that, because I'm not based in Melbourne anymore, um, it doesn't happen for me as, as much. Because you mentioned earlier on that you grew up uh, with a Christian upbringing. When you're doing something like Carols by Candlelight, and, and some of those songs do have that uh, sensibility to them, does your Christianity come back to you or did it never leave you? Or, yeah, does it reinforce it for you? Christmas is, you know, it is a special time. It's sort of based in Christianity. Um, and so, you you know, it's a bit of a conflicting time I'm finding it these days because, you know, is it is it Christmas holidays or is it happy holidays? And I think for me, you know, it reminds me that I had a very Christian upbringing, you know, surrounded by family, um, certainly my parents who are still very devout Christians to this day. It reminded me of that upbringing. Uh, it reminded me of the positive aspects of Christianity. I think I think the positive things to come out of Christianity are how it can help people in times of need. It can promote healthy relationships. And and so I think that's what it is for me. And, and so I don't mind singing Christian songs or, or things that, you know, that have that sort of influence in them, knowing that it's everyone has their own choice. And it's, it's a nice time of the year just to to be surrounded by people that you love and that you want to be close to. Which I think probably is bringing us to the end of our um, our podcast on that, Ian. One of the things I, I will ask you before you go, and I don't know if I've asked I did, if I asked this earlier, I don't think I did, but is there a role left that you'd love to play? Something, you know, that you could that someone could write on your gravestone at the end, you know, you could, you could write something like, at least I got to do this role etched into your grave. <laughs> Stone. What would that role be? <laughs> no, you know, uh, you know, at a certain point there, I I had to let go of Romeo. I just thought I'm not going to get a chance to play him anymore. Uh, you know, I'm heading I'm heading towards King Lear, but I don't want to get there too soon. Like you know, Kenneth Branagh might have got there a bit too soon. Let's just see. Look, it's a wonderful question. Les Mis was sort of always on my target list as a Javert or perhaps a Jean Valjean, and I kind of feel like that by the time I got to the age where I thought. I'd be in the running to play it. I feel like they're now casting it a lot younger, so I might have missed that boat as well. And so, do you know what? I ha I'm going to use that question to motivate me. Very recently, a fantastic director, uh, Alistair Smith, um, who who directed me in in Elvis, said to me, "You know, what do you want to do?" So I think I'm going to, you know, go away and find out what that role is, and maybe get a chance to do it. Well, when you find out what it is, you can come back on 15 minutes of fame again. You can tell me about it. Hey, um. <laughs> Did you want to plug Elvis? Do you want to give it a plug before you go? Yeah, I will. You know what, Elvis, uh, Musical Revolution, we finished in, in Melbourne on the, the last day of the year. I think it's about one o'clock on New Year's Eve. We've got our last show in Melbourne. And then we're off to Sydney for a little re return season uh, throughout February. And then, then we go to Adelaide in April and then across to Perth for sort of May, June, and then to the Gold Coast. So we're not quite getting to Brisbane, but we'll be at the Home of the Arts or Hotter on the Gold Coast throughout July. Well, Ian, there's only, there's only two things left for me to say. First one is Merry Christmas and hope you Thank have a, you. Good, a good Christmas in a good year. And the very and last one, which I know you're just waiting for me to say, is Ian Stenlake, this has been your 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> Thank you, Noel. I love you. That's it. We've done it. I think you got away a bit scot-free there because, you know, you gave me literally, I think, my third ever role. I did yeah, Fan Toad yeah. of the Opera. I did Angry Housewives. And then I think Dames at Sea. Yeah, well, we did Dames 
seem P.S. In the... uh, your cat is dead. And and strangely enough, Anne, I went back and looked at some of the reviews we got for P.S. Your cat is dead, and we cleaned yeah. up those reviews. We did. Were, those reviews were incredible. Even I was surprised reading them. So I'm um, really yeah, happy to use this little bit as a tag because Noel, you were literally instrumental in my journey as an actor, and I want to thank you for that publicly. Fantastic. I'm uh, you know forever indebted to you. Well, look at us. We're both still doing something in entertainment as years go on. Don't know why I'm still doing things. I've got no idea. I have no answer for that. But I guess <laughs> I guess we're both still doing it because we love it. And I think that's, yes. that's the reason why. If you enjoyed this podcast, Noel Anderson's 15 Minutes of Fame, remember to subscribe and share.